Good morning, my brothers and sisters. You are tuned in to the worship service of the Greater Little Zion Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Murphy, and we welcome you to this wonderful worship experience. Sit back now and enjoy our music ministry as they will come and share with you from the spoken word by way of song, and I'll come back and share with you in the preaching of God's word. Be blessed as the word of God blesses your spirit. Good morning, Zion. Come on, let's praise God. Come on, y'all. Let's give God the best praise we know how. But this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will be glad. I was glad when they said unto us, let us go into the house of the Lord. I don't know about you, but we should give God our best praise. Our best praise. Whatever your best praise says, you better give God a bit right now. Because if he's brought you from Sunday to Sunday, then he's done more than enough. I don't know about you, but he's brought you through, okay? And with that, we're going to sing this like this. I just want to praise you forever.
if you're not moving in your house, come on. If you're not moving in your car, because God's been so good to you. He's watching from Sunday to Sunday.
morning. If you get your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 3, we're going to read verses 13 through 18. 1 John chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 is going to be our scriptural text this morning. As we continue our exposition in the writing of 1 John, we are midway through this book, and this sermon is going to turn the tide in the entire theological concepts as we'll move now toward the preeminence of how love plays into the theology of John. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. <clears throat> but whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. I want to underscore, highlight verse 17 and 18, because they will be the crux of the message to which we want to talk about this morning. Whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. To that, I want to add the subject this morning, where is the love? Where is the love is what we want to talk about. That title, if you were born in the 60s like I was, may remind you of Roberta Flatt and Donnie Hathaway in the early 70s when they sung that duo together, Where is the Love? And that was an R&B R romantic song that talked about someone who was promised loved and obviously never received it. But this morning, I want to fast forward in time and take a look at the lyrics of that song as provided by a contemporary musical group entitled Black Eyed Peas. For they produced a song entitled Where Is the Love, but with a different set of lyrics because of a different objective. It's been noted that the reason why they produced the song, it was a response to what they saw or read about in reference to 9-11-2001. And they were trying to figure out as younger individuals then, what happened to the love of humanity? Where does it exist? Why is there so much killing? And why is there so much ruthlessness and anger and frustration and agony? Why is there such harm being done to one another? In fact, the lyrics seem to address a couple of themes, terrorism, racism, gang crime, pollution, war, intolerance, and even violence against the LGBT community. But the song has this social justice theme. It has this intentionality of connecting the relationship between humanity or individuals and society. The song seems to exemplify the search of trying to discover is there a world of fairness and equity and humanity to which we can be a part? Listen to what the lyrics convey in this song. And what I want you to do is at the end of this sermon, and more importantly, at the end of this service, don't tune out quickly because you'll probably hear the song being played. And listen attentively to the lyrics. They will underscore not only what this group that plays a little R&B and a little hip-hop and a little rap and a little pop kind of mix the genres in their music, but it also is lyrical in the sense that it is reaching out to us in a contemporary context, underscored by the cries that come from the millennials those who are trying to figure out why is there so much injustice? Why is there unrighteousness? Why is there inhumanity? Why do we become so inhumane to one another? But even more pointedly, I think we now have a generation who is raising up their questions to the one entity who proclaims that it understands what love is and displays it. And that is being brought into question by millennials and those beyond that who are wondering where is the love? And that is the critique 
of the church. Listen to what it says. The lyrics open by saying, what's wrong with the world, mama? People living like they ain't got no mamas. I think the whole world's addicted to the drama, only attracted to the things that'll bring you trauma. Overseas, yeah, we try to stop terrorism, but we still got terrorists here living. In the U.S., the big CIA, the Bloods and the Crips and the KKK. But if you only have love for your own race, then you only leave space to discriminate. And to discriminate only generates hate. And when you hate, then you're bound to get irate. Yeah, madness is what you demonstrate. That's exactly how anger works and operates. Now you gotta have love just to set it straight. Take control of your mind and meditate. Let your soul gravitate to the love. People killing, people dying, children hurt. Can you hear them crying? Can you practice what you preach? And would you turn the other cheek? Father, Father, help us. Send us some guidance from above because people got me, got me questioning where is the love? Where is the love? Where is the love? The love, the love. That's just the first lyric I want to do an exposition on as we look at that in reference to this text of 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. For it's there where John makes clear to us that you do not have to wonder or be concerned as to why the world will hate you. You should expect that. There's not going to be the agape love shared from, or should I say expressed from the world. That's not going to happen. Mainly because as John has already alluded to repeatedly, they don't know God and so they can't express love unconditionally. They can't express love without having objectives, agendas tied to it. All they know is the exploit and somehow to manipulate and use, somehow to use to their own advantage one another and to treat people as they are disposable to put profits over people. And so John warns in verse 13, don't be concerned when the world hates you. Because as Jesus moved around in the gospel narratives, you can tell that he was about transforming lives, changing people's lives, more importantly, ministering to the poor and the marginalized, those who have been often ostracized and mainly by the religious setting, i.e. the church. Young people now are wondering when the church proclaims that it knows God, but yet it can't see. They don't see this love that has or that needs to be expressed one to another that's divine in origin. We probably have a blessing in disguise when young people don't attend some of our church meetings or some of our ministry meetings. They don't see how we actually act behind the scenes, but instead they only get to witness us on Sunday mornings or in a church function. And yet still, our ineptness, our unattachment to love is displayed and they can discern it. And they're asking, where is the love now in a society to which it's following through on an old adage? When we fail to learn from history, it repeats itself. But there's a twist to that phrase when it comes to America from its inception, and at least from the inception of those who have 
from the shores of Africa. When they were brought here in 1619, nothing has changed since, really. It still has and still practices systemic discrimination. There is still police brutality. There is still economic marginalization. There is still housing discrimination. There is still academic discrimination. There are systemically rooted in the heart of the American soil in terms of its policies and will never be changed, won't be changed because there's a fear and the fear is those who have don't want the have-nots to have for fear that they may lose something. So equality is really a facade. It never really is played out. And I want you to know that we are no more equal now than we were actually doing Reconstruction. In fact, we may be, we may were in better shape during the Reconstruction period than we are now. But we were better represented in politics and only then, because we forged forward, was there the rise of white supremacy by way of the Ku Klux Klan. I raise this point in reference to this song, but also in reference to the text, because in the midst of each of the transitions in which black people in America travel through, whether it's slavery, whether it's Reconstruction, whether it's Jim Crow, whether it's legalized discrimination, whether it's segregation, even now, when there are placards and protests and voices crying out that black lives matter, there's one entity that has always been silent, in fact, has been pretty much complicit with whatever the populist voice was, and that's the church. The church in its various functions and various denominations sanctioned slavery. The church sanctioned Jim Crow. The church sanctioned legalized segregation. And the church now is sanctioning by its quietness and its voicelessness killing of black lives in this country. And yet the church perpetuates by way of its preaching on Sunday morning about love, divine love, brotherly love. And John makes clear in this text that there's something wrong if your love is merely in word only and has nothing to do with its deeds. The church used the Bible, <clears throat> it used the word of God to confirm discrimination, to confirm the ideology of inferiority of one people to another. In fact, the church in its silence now my Caucasian brothers and sisters, and I mention them specifically because it's in your church that many of these police officers are members, these judges are members, lawyers are members, these political personalities are members, persons who have the power to do the right, says Amos. They're members of your church. And yet they hear a word about love. But something is wrong because it's rarely demonstrated to your brother who stands in need. Listen to what John says in the text and listen back to the lyrics of Black Eyed Peas again. Because they're crying out, how is it that we have such war and turmoil and internal terrorism in our own soil? How is it that we can talk about preaching love, turning the other cheek, and yet you have them raising questions, particularly one, where is the love? 
Listen to what John says. John says, not only do you not have to worry about the world, I got that, not loving me. I understand that. I understand the world is not going to demonstrate agape love. I understand that 100%. But John is not writing to the world. John is writing to brothers and sisters who are in the body of Christ. And listen to what he says in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. And I, I just want to know, if there really is love, then where is the voice to stand up on my behalf? Look, look what the text says in verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life, Jesus, for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We ought to stand up for what is right. And I'm just curious, when is that going to happen? Or should we wrestle with the question, where is the love? What love are you preaching about from your pulpits? Because this thing that John is talking about, it's a sacrificial love in the sense that when it sees a brother and sister being marginalized or disenfranchised or being abused by those who are commissioned by power to protect and serve, you need to stand up and help make that correction. John says, when you love the brethren, that's not an issue. But we're not seeing that. Where is the love? I would contend that we're talking a good game. We talk about ecumenicalism. We talk about interfaith participation. We talk about how all of us are God's children. Really? Because once again, it just seems to me to be one-dimensional, one-sided. And I'm simply asking you, as a prophetic voice not only where is the love but what preaching are you doing from the pulpit so these lyrics ignited my curiosity because I never would have thought that a contemporary R&B hip hop rap group would be so pointed in their lyrics about injustice, would be so pointed about wondering with their eyes, why do they see such unharmony, disharmony, disunity among the people of the world? These millennials who grew up in integrated, for the most part, context of wondering how is it that we went to school together, but for some reason our parents and those who are in charge, who are responsible for moving our nation forward, how is it that we still participate in discrimination? Yet on Sunday mornings, we listen to the preaching about a divine love that will heal and mend all brokenness in man. Where is it? Where does it come from? Who can do it? Where can we see it? This is the Youth Sunday in our church, and I'm raising this issue because right now, all the protests that you see, whether you agree with it or not, this is the question underneath that they're asking. Where is the humanity? Where is the intentionality to recognize that we are all created in the image of God? that there's no one who is better than the other. Why is it that we are harming only one specifically group of people, yet there are others, but we're certainly highlighted, African Americans, whenever that happens, it is highlighted. How is it that we can suffer under the hands of the authorities with such clarity and such intentionality? Then we exercise no wisdom of justice 
by tagging their events as justifiable homicide. Millennials want to know, do you recognize that our lives matter? Someone raised the question, not only does black lives matter, but doesn't all lives matter? Well, yeah, they do. But why is it that we have to distinctively remind you that black lives matter? It's because black lives are not treated the same as other lives in this country. You can holler blue lives, white lives, Asian lives, all you want. But no one in America has experienced the kind of discrimination and the kind of marginalization and the kind of racism and hatred that black people have experienced in America. And right here in the text, John says, if you are the church and you are silent and you are, John says, you are participating in death. You can't be participating in life. Listen to the text. He says in verse 14, we know that believers, we've passed from death into life. And one way to measure it is because we love the brethren. Maybe you should take a cue from the writer of Hebrews who says, make sure you are sure about your salvation. Make sure you don't just have religion and you don't possess a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because something is wrong, says John, when you see your brother being abused and misused by the authorities and you got the power and say nothing. John says, he who does not love you abide in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Once again, there is John's favorite word, abiding, because John is contending that if God lives in you, if Christ is your Lord and Savior, Redeemer, that love has got to come out. He reflects on what Jesus said, by this love, all men will know that you are my disciples when you have loved one another. I, millennials are raising the question, I, I don't see that. Where is the love? What we see is silence of the church. In every stage of black oppression in America, the church has been silent. It doesn't want to get its hands dirty because, again, those who are perpetrators of injustice are members of your community and you don't want to be at odds. But I think more importantly, you are afraid because you don't want to see equality for fear that you're going to lose something. And John says, you've already lost something. You've lost life if you failed to love your brother. Jesus lays down his life. He intervenes on behalf of those who are dying. They were dying in the streets at the hands of the Roman soldiers. They were dying in the streets at the hands of one another. They were dying because of inept policies and unjust policies. And yet Jesus took a cross on a hill called Calvary. And there he stood in the gap, not only satisfying the requirements of God for the mode of redemption, but also he showed humanity how love is to be displayed. Love is costly. It will cost you something if you want to participate in love. Love is consistent. It suffereth long. It never runs out. And yet love is celebratory. Because when it's properly expressed, everyone in the equation 
wins. And so John tells us here in the text, particularly in verse 18, or 17 and 18, but verse 17 particularly, if you possess the power to make changes in someone's life and you know that they need and you have the power to meet that need and says John you close off your heart I don't want to be involved in fact I'm not a racist I love all people so you don't have to be you are the beneficiary of systems that are discriminating that gives you privilege we call it white privilege that's what sociology calls it and as a result of that you get to enjoy the privilege on the back, not only of our ancestors, but the continuation of injustice being practiced now. Right here, John says when you close your heart against that person, where is the love of God? So then he gives us this bold admonition in verse 18. Let us not just love with word and with tongue, but let us also love in deed and in truth. So let me close by saying that here are three things that I think that John says that you probably want to take a look at when you consider loving the brethren. Number one, he says love has to be deposited. Read verses 13 through 15 again, and there's a clear point there, particularly verse 14 and 15, that love is an internal issue that only comes from being born again by the Spirit of God. You don't learn how to love divinely. Something inside of you happens in your regeneration that causes the sensitivity, that causes the compassion, that causes one to reach out. Why? Because God has deposited in you his own divine love, and that's the driving force, motivation, that causes you to love the brethren. So love has to be deposited. We, we can't stay silent you can't stay silent on what happened to Brianna Taylor and not say a word about it. Not force that local municipality to bring charges against those, even though they call it one of those kinds of warrants where they don't have to knock. Who ever heard of such absurdity? That's another excuse to wield power. I want to say to you, God says, when you got my love on the inside of you, you don't let that kind of thing go by. Love has to be deposited. There's a second thing. Love has to be deliberate. When I talk about it being deposited, listen to what John also says in 1 John chapter 4. And verse 19, listen to what he says now when we talk about deposited love. We love because he, Christ, first loved us. But secondly, he says love has to be deliberate. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says that we know love by this, that he laid down. Christ deliberately went to Calvary deliberately gave his life on the cross. He stood in the gap deliberately. Listen to what John also says in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for the love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, in us, in us. So God's love in his son not only was poured out at Calvary, but because of our embracing of who Jesus was and what he did, his finished work, which is sufficient for our salvation, transformed our lives, made us new creations. 
Therefore, push past phileo, brotherly love, or eros, an erotic love, but placed and deposited in us agape, which is a deliberate love to love and to look beyond the faults and see the needs. And John says, verse 10, chapter 4, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. See, John keeps pointing us back to the cross because he knows if you're going to love, you've had an encounter with the cross. Then in verse 11, he says, chapter 4, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also so love one another. Love is not only depositing us, but love has to be deliberate. We have to deliberately love one another. And the church has to be the leader of that. Then there's a final thing. Love has to be deposited. Love has to be deliberate. And love has to be displayed. See verse 17 and 18 again, particularly verse 18. We can't love in just word or the tongue. We've got to do so with deed and with truth. You know the truth. You know the truth. If you are a Christian and you've read any of these 66 books of the Bible, you know the truth when it comes to justice. Your millennial sons and daughters, my millennial sons and daughters are asking, where is the love in the church by the church? First John chapter four, verse 20, Paul gave these closing words in that text. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot no way love God whom you have not seen. You see us, we're all over the news, yet you say you love God, and you say you love us, but you're silent. Verse 21, this commandment we have from him that one the one who loves God should love his brother also. Where is the love? Where is the love? Once again, let me read this line from Black Eyed Peas in that question in terms of their lyrics. People killing, people dying, children hurt. Can you hear them? Crying, can you practice what you preach? Where is the love? Where is the love? Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, consecrate the voice to which we have attempted to speak in this morning that your people will hear and will recognize the importance of each of us as people of God standing on this gospel and standing with one another. Give us for our sins and our trespasses, for we have certainly done so. Lord, restore in us not only your glorious forgiveness and mercy and grace, but enable us to be honest and to recognize that our love has been lopsided and we haven't loved one another as you have so admonished us to do in the scriptures. Forgive us. I pray that we can get this right before you come again. But we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If there's someone with us today, this message, the entire purpose was to make you aware that the church has not been as loving as we know that we can be. 
Also, I want you to understand that that is because we are also imperfect people. There's absolutely nothing perfect about the church. We are people who are still growing and maturing as people of God. There are some things that we are called to do and we have to do them in order to depict to the outer world what it means to be followers of Christ. And I hope and pray that at least in this message you caught the one thing that I kept repeatedly saying. And that is that we are loved by God and it's demonstrated, displayed, deliberated in terms of being deliberately done through his son Jesus Christ at the cross. And I pray today that if you've never met Christ, this is the day to which your life will begin anew. You simply make that decision in your heart and confess with your mouth and say these words, Lord, I recognize that I need to be born again, totally by your spirit. I trust what your son Jesus has done for me on the cross. His finished work opens up the door for me to have redemption and eternal life with you. I embrace Christ as my Lord, and today I celebrate my salvation. That simple prayer will lead you into a new space of life in Jesus Christ. And if that be the case, we certainly want to hear from you. We want to be a part of your spiritual growth and development, and we want you to be a part of the fellowship as we grow together in one. So keep us in mind, whether you contact us by email whether you contact us by our church office phone, please call. Let us know, hey, today, on this Sunday, I made a decision to trust Christ, and we are going to celebrate with you. And we're going to rejoice that one more has their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. At this time, we also invite all of our members and friends, if you would, to take out your electronic device. And if you so desire to pay your tithes and offerings, give us your financial support. We so desperately not only need it, but we thank you for that which you give us. You pull out your electronic device and you can also do text giving. And by text giving, you enable yourself to be able to text what your offering will be to the church. Or you can go to our church website and practice e-giving where you go on the website and click on where it says electronic giving and you can give there or the old-fashioned way you can write your checkout money order mail it to the church and we'll be more than happy to receive it we love you and thank you for all that is god doing in your life and we thank you for allowing us to serve you in this capacity of preaching the gospel we also want to further remind you don't forget that we're still working on building our food distribution and so uh, we invite you that if you're willing to serve and to help us do that, call the church office and give us your name uh, as well as a contact information. We'd like to get back in touch with you. We're getting close to that date. Also, uh, if you would in your tithes and offering, give an extra $10 or so. We certainly would appreciate that. That would enable us to be able to purchase um, gift cards as well as various different uh, pieces of food items that we can put bags together and give food away that someone can at least make sure they're fed during these pandemic days. Listen, I got to go, but we love you. We thank God for you. And always remember, God loves you, and so do I. Have a blessed, wonderful day in the Lord. Don't forget now, don't tune out too quickly because at the end of this sermon, I want you to listen to the lyrics as it's going to be played by the black eyed peas where is the love be blessed god bless you have a wonderful day in the land what's wrong with the world mama people living like they ain't got no mama i think the whole world's addicted to the drama only attracted to things that'll bring the trauma overseas yeah we trying to stop but we still got terrorists here living in the USA, the big CIA, the Bloods and the Crips and the KKK. But if you only have love for your own race, then you only leave space to discriminate. And to discriminate only generates hate. And when you hate, then you're bound to get irate. Madness is what you demonstrate, and that's exactly how anger works and operates. Man, you gotta have love just to set it straight. Take control of your mind and meditate. Let your soul gravitate to the love, y'all, y'all.
is what you preach and what you turn the other cheek. Father, father. 